0: It's, it's very easy not to make a fool of yourself in, in life and, or in running. And the simple thing is, you know, don't do it, don't have a go. And what I love about runners is, you know, runners are people who do have a go. Um, and really, if you have a go, then, you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, sometimes things go according to plan, sometimes they don't. But the point is, you, you had a go.
1: Welcome back to the Run Alive podcast. This week, we are speaking to an acclaimed author and fell runner,
0: I think there was a a flurry. I think feet in the clouds probably unleashed a degree of pent-up appetite for that sort of thing. To run seriously in the mountains, to do something like the Bob Graham Round, you know, each of those each of those extra people who supposedly shouldn't have been doing it, they're you know they're proper runners. They're people who have dedicated months and months of their lives that they've been through you know blood, sweat, and tears to make it happen. You're going to hear him come across
2: as a really deep thinker curious and someone who has really learned to follow uh, what he finds interesting
0: and follow where the stories are. In terms of what I particularly care about, I guess I've always liked writing about people who are individuals. I suppose I, I believe in freedom and i I've always admired people who choose to live in their own way, their own you know, maybe slightly unconventional way and if you look at people who appear in my books from, you know, the great fell-running heroes like Joss Nader and Billy Bland, they're, they're all slightly sort of wild creatures and oh, you know, Emil Sartapet was a, initially a creature of communism but he also was, you know, totally loose canon, who <laughs> who wouldn't be um, constrained by, by convention and orthodoxy um, I guess I just have a natural sympathy with the unorthodox in sort of, you know, any world at all.
1: Our guest is determined to pursue his countercultural determination to keep running all the way into later life.
0: It's good to just set yourself a really, really difficult goal that, that might be beyond you. Um, and I think this is something I've become very aware of when writing about running in later life that, you know, so many people as they get older they suddenly think, well, I don't want to attempt anything too difficult, better be careful, better take it easy. And not only are they losing out on the experiences they might have had, they're also losing out just on that, you know, really healthy life-enhancing habit, mental habit of of having a dream, having a goal, having something that you know, I'm going to run that 5k race maybe I won't be up to it this month but perhaps next month you know that's that's what I think all runners benefit from just the sort of the goal setting.
2: Welcome to the podcast Richard
0: Asquith. Um, my name's Richard Asquith I've been a runner for about 40 years I guess um, I've never been much good at it you know I've, I've actually you could list all my running achievements on well actually you wouldn't even need anything to list all my running <laughs> achievements because I haven't <laughs> been any um, but somehow that hasn't stopped me writing several books about it, um, and I write books about other things as well. And you know, I've been writing books for about twenty years. But for some reason, the ones about running often tend to be the most personal ones. Um, I guess the book your your listeners are most likely to have heard of is actually my first book, um, which I wrote twenty years ago, which is called Feet in the Clouds, which was about fell running and about. Um, it was meant to be mainly just a sort of celebration of the then little known and, you know, to me, wonderfully rich and warm and life enhancing world of of fell running and celebrating some of the sort of great unsung heroes of that world. And yet somehow sort of accidentally it also involved telling quite a lot of my story and about me. So I sort of then got to the end of that and thought, right, that's the last time I'm ever writing anything about me and my running, because really who wants to read about my running. Um, but then I, about sort of 10 years after, and that was sort of slightly a, a young man's book about how I was in those days a very young and obsessive fell runner, trying to be as good as I can. About 10 years later, I then wrote another book called Running Free, which was more of a sort of middle-aged outlook on on running and, and life. And, you know, I was far too old to be getting faster anymore, and, you know, if I just was motivated by the watch and race results and it was all getting quite discouraging but so i just it was about learning to just enjoy the whole process of running rather than the outcome the subtitle was a runner's journey back to nature and a lot of it was just sort of you know about the joys of running in nature and it's almost sort of like Mm -hmm. going for a walk or something like that and i and it's still true i find running you know very refreshing and um just makes me a sort of happier and um better person i guess Um, and and after i got to the end of that i thought that really is it i'm never ever again i'm going to write about me and me (laughs) (laughs) because that is more than enough but then for some reason about sort of 10 years after that i then sort of something unexpected happened which was that i realized i was getting old um and this was affecting me in all sorts of fairly unwelcome ways from you know getting even slower and even you know more aches and pains and everything like that also sort of more injuries, more injury prone, getting weaker, all that sort of accumulating or sort of combining to make me less confident. And I was almost – and then that all combining with the whole sort of all the package of midlife woes that you get when you're sort of in your late 50s, as I was then, Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, suddenly thinking I'm a dinosaur in the workplace and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not as attractive as I used to be and, um, and, you know, people close to you are getting ill and dying, all the things that, you know, send people – running away on Harley Davidson's with foreign women after age and that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) but with, yeah, but but it was particularly affecting me as a runner and to the extent that I was sort of suddenly realized I wasn't really enjoying running anymore. It was all to do with problems or things going wrong. And I'd come back from one injury and then, you know, be even weaker than I was before. And then I would get injured again. And it was like, I was—I got to a point. Where I remember someone saying to me, "You should just face facts, mate. You're you're too old to be a runner anymore." Mm. And I thought, "Yeah, maybe they're right." And then I started thinking about all the everything I've got from running over the years, and what a blow it would be to lose that. So I then started looking at the whole question of can we keep running in old age, um, and that's what led to my most recent book um, called "The Race Against Time." Which again is is about me and and was <laughs> it's not just about me and my <laughs> running. It's also about the amazing um, world of people who do run in later life and some of the extraordinary characters, inspiring people I've I've met um, involved in late life running. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, I got to the end of that, and that yeah. really, really, really is the last I'm ever going to write about myself and <laughs> <when I'm> running. <laughs> I don't don't
2: believe that at all, Richard. Um, but I you know, I've been yeah I've just been. Um, uh, diving into your latest book with the race against time, and uh, I just, you know, just want to say, like, I've laughed out loud several times in the first uh, few chapters. Oh, um, that's good! Because not only is it r- really insightful, but you know, it is inspiring, and there's some really great stories and anecdotes there. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, Richard, what makes you come alive?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, probably a couple of answers actually i guess what i mean almost at a sort of literal level what makes me come alive is running so you know i get up in the morning and i'm not really properly alive so i'm not really awake you know i have a massive cup of tea um try to move around a bit and then i go off for a run and pretty much every morning i start off and i'm thinking oh god groan groan i'm out of breath you know the joints are sore etc i'm really going to hate this and then gradually you know it just unfolds and i start waking up and i start looking at my surroundings and i things start going on in my head i mean i don't really know what happens all i know is that by the end of the run every morning i'm feeling better i'm sort of i'm a functioning human being again and and if I don't do that in the morning, then you know you really don't want to be around me. It's not a good thing. So that's a, that's a simple answer. Um, apart from that, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you know I'm I'm a writer and I spend quite a lot of time you know sitting alone in my in my writing room to sort of writing as it were. Um, and you know people who write often say, "Oh, you're so lucky, just to be able to you know, do nothing else and focus on your writing," but what brings me alive is when i go out and meet people when i you know going out and you know especially for work but not just for work meeting strangers people i haven't encountered before you know little bits of the world i haven't encountered all the times when you just sort of move out of the everyday and just encounter something that you didn't know before and in a way that's something that happens with running as well i guess because you know you go to any running event you know any race or whatever it is chances are you're going to find yourself talking to some complete stranger and you think, oh, you know, that's interesting or whatever. So I think that, that makes me feel – and then afterwards I I feel more alive. And I'm sort of aware of that because I'm sort of a bit of a reclusive, grumpy old git, really, and I'm quite often, you know, if I'm meant <laughs> to be going out somewhere, I think, oh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just stay at home. And then you go out and you have the, you're exposed to all these outside things, and then afterwards you think, oh, I'm really glad I did that.
1: Yeah. And Richard, you've written very widely on a surprisingly wide range of topics. Um, Many people listening to this will know your running books. A number of us will also know the other things you've written on. Just first of all, maybe there are some clues in what you were just saying there about what makes you come alive, but how do you go about figuring out what's next for you as a writer and where where you're going to put your creative effort?
0: I think that's if I knew the answer to that I'd be a more successful writer. I think um <laughs> it's very, very random. I sort of tend to I quite often find stories that are interesting to me. And I get I spent much of my life as well as writing books, being a being a journalist and you know, working in a newspaper office mm. or a magazine office, and it's just sort of second nature to me pretty much every day, thinking, What would be an interesting story? you know, often just a when I was working on a newspaper or magazine to commission someone else to write. But we you're always thinking, well, that would be an interesting story. Mm-hmm. That might be an interesting story and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. And so as a writer, naturally, um, both writing books and writing freelance features. I'm always thinking, yeah, that might be an interesting story. Um, and then it's slightly a question almost of of what works out. So often you think that might be an interesting mm-hmm. story. I wonder if X and then you look into it and it turns out that x isn't the case after all so that sort of fizzles out Mm. sometimes things Mm. are just too difficult to do sometimes you talk to you know a commissioning person a publisher or a commissioning editor at a publication um and they're interested and then that sort of you know propels you on and sometimes you come up with what's a really good story what you think is a really good story and it just doesn't happen yet so um and somewhere in my computer you'll find or you won't, but I well you know, I've got a whole list of, you know, project possible future projects and then some of them work out, some of them don't. But I don't really know what determines it. The only thing creative thing I suppose is what's interesting to me. And it's yeah, I think it's very hard to especially for a book, which is something you've got to live with for probably several years. If you if your heart isn't in it, you really want to you don't
1: want to get involved in that totally mm. and so you you used the word interesting and i'm curious as to what is in that word interesting for you because it strikes me you're you're not I, I didn't hear you thinking talking there about what would my audience like or what would you know there's there's sort of less mm. of that it's more hmm, yeah. this yeah, is yeah. interesting to me have you noticed a pattern in what you find interesting or what is intrinsically strikes you as interesting
0: um, well, I think sometimes it's almost like curiosity. So, I mean, to take one example, mm-hmm. um, two years, five, I think six, seven years ago, I wrote uh, another running book, actually, a book about Emil Zatopek, who was the great Czechoslovak. I've distance read running Wonderful the book moment. for anyone yeah. for
1: anyone listening who hasn't read that book. It's really very 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 good. Sorry, Richard, you on? <laughs> no,
0: no. <laughs> well, I mean, he was a wonderfully interesting, but you know, obviously interesting person. And you know, I think of him as a patron saint of running. And if you don't read my book about mm-hmm. that, then read someone else's. Um, <laughs> but as a result of that, I got slightly interested in. Well, I got very interested, in fact, in mm-hmm. Czech culture and history and the Czech Republic, mm-hmm. and sort of trying to learn the Czech language. And I just came across a story um, in the world of horse racing, which isn't really something I know much about, or I'm at all interested mm-hmm. in. Um, and it was about this sort of pioneering female jockey of the 1920s and 1930s, and her story appeared to be largely lost. And I really just got a bit curious. And I initially thought maybe I this was something called Lata Brandisovar. And I thought, yeah, well, mm. I'd like to maybe, maybe I could write an article about her or something like that. So I sort of started making a few inquiries. I tried, tried to track down some of her relatives and things like that. I sort of su- succeeded, found out a bit more, um, found some people who knew something about her. They were saying, yeah, but, you know, there's too much that's forgotten or lost. But it was almost like a sort of, you know, a detective story or something. And you think, well, I just wonder if I could find out this and wonder if I could find out that. And I got drawn bigger and you know, further and further into this story. Which I'd never intended to write a book about at first. But then, you know, two or three years later it ended up as this, this book called called Unbreakable, which is the story of well the subtitle is the The Countess, the Nazis and the World's Most Dangerous Horse Race. Um and it you know, it was a much more interesting story than I'd ever ever imagined. <laughs> But you know what? So I've read that book,
2: and I was really interested to talk to you about it because mm. how could you not read a book that's got a subtitle, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah. "The Countess, the Nazis, and the World's Most Dangerous Horse Race"? But similar to similar to what you just said, I, you know that I had no interest in horse racing at all beforehand. Um, no, I'm not sure I have much interest in horse mm. racing, but this, now. But the story is incredible. Is, was incredible and beautifully told um and so it's really interesting to hear that that was just largely kind of off the back of an interest that of, for the czech republic that you personally had having written about that as well that mm. this is kind of mm. one leads to the other mm. leads to the other journey
0: going on yeah. there for you yeah and i guess it also um illustrates the idea that you know books about sport or certainly for me books about sport they're not really about sport or they're not much, they're partly about sport but mm. you know it's the, it's the people and the stories that, that make them interesting for me mm. um mm. so mm. you know Emil artifact was yeah. fantastically interesting and significant as a runner but really it's all the other stuff in his life that for me makes him such an inspiring mm. figure
1: yeah and R- richard you um it very much sounds like you're led by your curiosity and I'm in a world where we've also got to pay bills
0: and, <laughs> you know,
1: dude, please, please editors and I don't know uh, you don't surround me as someone who's super worried about their social media following, but you know, there, there's, um, there's kind of a little bit of tension maybe in following your curiosity, but also balancing the need to kind of make a living and, 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 and achieve a certain degree of sales how do you reflect on that or are actually is your experience if i follow my curiosity this will all work out
0: i think i mean you're totally right it is hard to balance them and you know I, i'm always thinking yeah i should do something more commercial i, I better do this because the money is good <laughs> etc but, but what yeah. i think i have learned from experience it's not so much that if i follow my curiosity that will be good as if i don't if i'm not curious so i'm not interested it's going to end badly and you know i just Mm. it's terribly difficult to write well about something if really you don't care about it and you're not interested and you um Mm. i remember decades ago when i was starting out as a journalist at some point i was made to write an article about the royal family or something and which is just a subject i'm not remotely interested in all the journalists are supposed to be i just had to write this article over and over again And accept saying, no no this is no good because you know it was no good because it just wasn't a Mm. subject that um, i responded to at all every now and then i do um sort of take part in like it's like sort of a retreat for for people who want to write and you, you know give them guidance on how to write um, and sometimes people are saying, you know, I want to do this, but I think the public might be interested in that or the publisher might want that. And I, the mm-hmm. advice I always, always give is, you know, d- don't do it for anyone else because it, it won't be real. It's got to come from from you and what you think mm-hmm. is interesting and what you want to do.
2: That's um, well, that's a fascinating piece of advice that, and learning that we can – I'm <laughs> sure there are many people listening that can apply that in fields, in, in, in their own field. Um In terms of what you uh, care about and what you're interested about, you've written uh, more recently on politics. You clearly care about the state of Britain and its people. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that and how you see uh, the world and our country particularly um,
0: at the moment. That's interesting. I mean, I suppose I've always had a... I think I my sort of political outlook is probably what used to be very common and it's becoming increasingly rare, which is sort of like in classic liberalism almost. I sort of believe I've been very lucky to live in a country which has you know had which has had strong democratic institutions and traditions and you know, basic the sort of basic goalposts of democracy, like a you know, the supremacy of parliament and the independence of the judiciary and freedom of speech, um, that sort of thing. I I I worry these days that um there's so much tribalism and identity politics and um you know people in public life and politics are judged it seems to me sort of 90% on who they are and 10% on on what they're saying or or what they stand for. And, you know, whatever you actually believe in in politics, it seems to me that we we should value these basic goalposts, these sort of ground rules of democracy. And if we don't, we're going to lose them. And I think that's something, that's a danger that affects people, you know, right across Western Europe and the United States, obviously. in terms of what I particularly care about, I guess I've always liked writing about people who are individuals. I suppose I I believe in freedom mm-hmm. and I have always admired people who choose to live in their own way, their own, you know, maybe slightly unconventional way. And if you look at people who appear in my books from, you know, the great, running heroes like Joss Nader and Billy Bland. They're they're all slightly sort of wild creatures and oh you know Emil Sartopet was a initially a creature of communism, but he also was, you know, totally loose canon who <laughs> wouldn't be um constrained by mm. by convention and orthodoxy. Um I guess I just have a natural sympathy with the unorthodox in sort of, you know, any world at all. Um and so I guess that's what I sort of tend to write about.
1: And do you think it's getting harder for people, I'm holding a question, by the way, we'll come back to politics in a moment, but you've just triggered a question around, do you think it's getting harder for people to be a little more individualistic or unorthodox and kind of... Um, stand stand <laughs> out in some of the ways that you were talking about. Does it? Because it sort of links. It can feel a little bit dangerous these days to kind of be a bit like that. I don't. I don't know if that that question resonates with you. Do you think it's harder to be like that?
0: I think that does. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, I totally. I think. Yeah, you know, in the world of social media, I'm really not mm. one of the world's natural social media people at all. Um, mm. and I think it's partly because of that. This idea that you know these orthodoxies form and. You get in such trouble for, um, you know, in fact, for, you know, breaking the orthodoxy in, in completely different ways. It doesn't matter which which way you deviate, you're still going to get really, really punished. I'm sure yeah. everyone, not just in their social media activity, but then you hear, of, you know, all these writers and publishers are so afraid and self-censoring mm. because they don't want to be punished for, as, as heretics. Yeah. Um, And that's something that worries me a lot. And I sort of feel as a sort of older person Mm -hmm. who is lucky enough, I guess, just to think, well, I don't really care about social media. I don't really understand how it works. I'm not going to get into that world. You know, perhaps I'm relatively okay in that respect. But I really, really feel for Mm -hmm. the younger people who you know, spend their whole lives feeling, you know, I'm being judged. I'm about to be found wanting in this way or that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it just can't be good for people
1: no and I'm I'm most of the way through reading your book people power because I've read a lot of your other books and I suddenly thought oh hang on I've written a book here about something kind of very sort of deeply political did you did that feel like a uh, potentially scary thing to do because you're slightly sticking your head above the parapet in that book and talking about political reform and reforming Mm -hmm. the system Mm -hmm. people tend to get quite upset about those things did you give any consideration to you're going to take some flack for this or was it just something you felt you had to do?
0: I think it was something, I mean, that was a classic example of something that ended up as a book by accident. It like sort of started Mm -hmm. off as an article that then became something bigger and then became something Mm -hmm. bigger and ended up uh, sort of small book length. Um, And it was really just that it seemed to me the arguments I was putting forward were, fairly irresistible if sort of set out in a clear way um yes you do i am aware that you know if you stray into politics you're going to get shot down and in my very very limited social media activity i sort of you know deliberately never say anything political because um most of my books you know i want to appeal to people of whatever political persuasion i don't really care what people think about you know, Brexit or whatever it is—it's just you know, people are people. Um, mm. I think if you, I think if you write a book, actually, I think if you write a book, you're not so worried about the reaction. part because you're more worried that no one's going to read it at all. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you write a book and you, <laughs> then you, okay. if you write about yeah. a good book about politics and people get outraged, then in a way, that's good, I guess, cause it's would, landed. Yeah. Um, it's landed, yeah, yeah. If we um. Divert back
2: towards running. You mentioned you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the the old greats of the older, I should say, greats of of uh, mm-hmm. fell running: Josh Naylor, Billy Bland, that that, that kind of th- those kind mm-hmm. of people, and them, you know, being, you know, perhaps sort of bastions of doing things a bit differently, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the people that they were the people that you really learned from about running in the fells mm-hmm. and the Bob Graham round. But feet in the clouds, probably you know takes. Do you, how much responsibility, I suppose, do you take through feet in the clouds for for popularizing Bob Graham now? Because many more people know about it thanks to you, I think.
0: <laughs> the feet in the clouds effect. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Yeah. It is. It is something I think about. Um, what I basically always come back to is that. I wrote Peter McLeod 20 years ago. A huge amount of things have changed since then. I mean, just for example, mm. the population of the UK has increased by, I think, 8 million people since then. Um, you know, the internet's come along, which really, you know, I'd love to claim credit for, but it, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, you know, so social media, people are more mobile, um, mm. people are more active. Um, there's been a, you know, boom in in running and adventure running and ultra running um which hasn't all come from me um Mm. and and the other thing is you know if you're if you're going to say it's it's all going to be kept private and outsiders shouldn't be let in to to this world how exactly are you going what what are the rules i mean do you have to be born and bred in cumbria do you have to go about three generations are we going to have to bring you know family trees and passports what about people are going to move up and into the Lake District. I think what's slightly more Mm -hmm. significant is that there clearly has been a huge shift in the culture of fell running or the culture of mountain running in the past 20 years. And there are some things, I mean, you look at the sort of Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, for example, or something like that. There was this sort of huge, very commercial, very modern approach to, to running in the mountains. People achieve extraordinarily high standards. They're wearing you know, equipment that I wouldn't have recognized 20 years ago, let alone what sort of Josh Naylor would have recognized mm-hmm. running in his, his work boots, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, people are sponsored by kit manufacturers, etc. It's a very, very sort of modern sport. I think some people come to that with the attitude that, you know, I'm paying good money mm-hmm. for a service and I expect to be well served. And, you know, it's all about me getting a good experience. And all of which is a very, very different from the, traditional culture of fell running which is you know it's a community activity that you're doing it because you love the mountains um you're always looking out for one another as well as for your own result um and i think the conclusion i've reached is slightly that there's maybe there's room for both so you so you go to one a really high profile championship race and you do think gosh this is a bit unsustainable you know there are so many people and uh all turning up in their flash cars and they expect you know photographs yeah. for themselves and goodie bags and showers mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff um but nonetheless behind that there's all these sort of smaller fell races going on and you know so i won a couple of nights ago up in the peak district um you know they the, the night fell race and it's you know just a very small event entirely run by yeah, actually, it seemed like you know, most of the local running club must have been just acting as as marshals and volunteers there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, I mean, you know, everyone goes off in the dark and runs for five miles through puddles and slimy boulders and fog and things like that. You think, you know, what possible person would want to do this? You know, what sane person would want to do this? Although in fact, it's very, very refreshing thing to do. And then afterwards, everyone just sort of bundles together and you know, eats a pie and um and has a pint um and it's just a very low-tech community thing um and i think all Mm. over the world of british fell running um you have the small races and then you have the big ticket events and they can sort of coexist in terms of the bob graham round i know people say you know it's got easier and too many people are doing it and there's erosion on the say on some of the Mountains, sort of making it's certainly much easier to find a path because the path has been well trodden. But mm. you know, a how do you limit it? And B, I think there was a, a flurry. Of, I think feet in the clouds probably unleashed a degree of pent-up appetite for that sort of thing. Yeah, there are a lot of people like me who have thing, been. Which is a good thing. So, yeah. I don't think mm. it probably is a good thing. Um, and then it has slightly gone down again now. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not increasing at the same rate. It's more because. To run seriously in the mountains, to do something like the Bob Graham Round, you know, each of those pe- each of those extra people who supposedly shouldn't have been doing it, they're you know they're proper runners. They're people who have dedicated mm-hmm. months and months of their lives that they've been through you know, blood, sweat, and tears to make it happen. And, mm-hmm. and I don't really see any, anything wrong with that. I think the the sort of casual, I want it all laid on for me, people aren't aren't going to stay the course for that sort of thing.
2: Mm-hmm
0: you earlier you
2: mentioned uh, when you were when you were writing and preparing to to or to write that that was the story of a younger a much more obsessed uh, man <laughs> who was uh, uh, you know learning about the other uh, fells then on reflection what, what are the lessons that you've taken from uh, the bob graham round and writing writing about it in particular but you know the the, the the years of, 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 of um, training for it and attempting it and then uh, finally succeeding in it, are, are there lessons that you've been able to carry across to other parts of life from from that?
0: Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, I think the great thing about these sort of, you know, 24-hour uh, rounds, or probably any, you yeah, know, probably people get the same sort of lessons from running marathons or from doing ultras or whatever, but it's, a you know, it's a, you can set yourself big, big, goals and if you think about them in the wrong way they become top, impossibly daunting and you you know they just you lose all your strength and confidence just thinking about them if you, you have to approach them sort of one step at a time or or one peak at a time don't think too far ahead you have to sort of trust on the one hand you have you do have to plan ahead and you know so the bob graham round you've got to do forty forty two 42 peaks in 24 hours so you pretty rapidly work out if I'm going to reach peak forty-two by such and such time, I've got to reach peak five by such and such time. So the process by which I um, planned my attempts on the Bob Graham round is probably very similar to the process by which I plan my books. You know, if I'm going to write twenty chapters by this deadline, then I better have done chapter three by the end of this month, or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that anything major you attempt you're going to have highs and lows, you know peaks and troughs, and anyone who does this sort of thing will will know about that and and you get to the trough, the lowest point of the troughs, and you think this I just can't do this it's just impossible um and and so just learning that if if you learning to believe that the troughs will pass. I suppose, is a very, very valuable skill. And sometimes I get to lay points in things I'm attempting that have got nothing to do with running. And mm-hmm. I'm probably drawing on the sort of what I learned from the Bob Graham round, that, you know, just hang in there. Maybe maybe next week it won't seem so bad, and maybe you'll have just got this bit behind you. And and similarly, you also learn not to get too complacent on the on the highs, because in a 20, 24-hour round, you'll there tend to be points where you think, oh, yeah, it's easy, fantastic, blah, blah, blah. Um and then half an hour later, he suddenly, suddenly can't walk <laughs> and gosh, and and then gosh. the the other sorry, just one other thing is which i think actually comes from all forms of running it's just you know it's good to just set yourself a really really difficult goal that that might be beyond you um and I think this is something I've become very aware of when writing about running in later life. That, you know, so many people as they get older, they suddenly think, well, I don't want to attempt anything too difficult, better be careful, better take it easy. And not only are they losing out on the experiences they might have had, they're also losing out just on that, you know, really healthy life-enhancing habit, mental habit of of having a dream, having a goal, having something that, you know, I'm going to run that. 5k race maybe i won't be up to it this month but perhaps next month you know that's that's what i think all runners benefit from mm-hmm. just the sort of the goal setting
2: yeah. that's really interesting um, uh well uh, just as an anecdote by way of transition i um a few years ago my, my friend mark and i were up in the lakes and we were coming down that mm-hmm. descent from Scarfield pike towards great gable and some mm-hmm. walkers were going the other way and um, you know i'm by no means Uh, I run, I don't run very well uphill or downhill, like I like flat roads, (laughs) Um, but but, um, uh, these walkers, as we we were stumbling down that path, um, (laughs) these walkers were kind of, and they said, they looked at us with sort of revered voice, uh, revered eyes, and hushed voices, and said, "Are you fell runners?" And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you actually um, uh, sort of recount a somewhat similar anecdote at the start of your mm. your latest book when you're up there, up there again with a group of um, a group of a group of friends and kind of come across mm. this fell race hurtling down, uh, more or less the same mm. place, I think. Yeah. And um, it, yeah. It, uh, well that's that's really struck a chord call, with me and i wanted to make sure i meant, mentioned mm. it so entirely self-serving mm. anecdote there yeah. but um oh, linking it back mm. to what you just said there was um there was a uh, there's real benefits uh, so your current your your new book is about running in in later life uh, yeah. and yeah. there are real benefits aren't there of you know continuing to stay active both uh, physiologically but also mentally and you know and and how you feel about yourself and that's that's part of what you you're exploring
0: in that. Absolutely absolutely. And I think really yeah, you know, there are huge physiological benefits to being a being a runner, you know, in the decade following retirement. Um but mm. the ones I'm more interested in really are the mental and psychological and emotional mm. benefits. Um which include as you say getting out there, meeting people, connecting, etc. Um and and I'm constantly winning this battle that keeps going back of you know believing in yourself because society puts pressure on older people not to believe in themselves and I mean it's interesting what you say about you know being a, a run being a fell runner um I reckon every, every runner will have had this experience that I constantly have that you go to a race and you're standing on the starting line and you look around you and you think look at all these people They look mm-hmm. so fit and strong and I, I don't belong mm-hmm. here i'm not a proper they're proper runners i'm mm-hmm. not a proper runner um and yeah, you know, the first time i went on a fell race you know they were all fell runners i was just a, an intruder and, the, and similarly the first time i went to you know an actual formal masters athletics race and took part in that i felt a total imposting what well, am i i'm not a proper athlete they're proper mm-hmm. athletes um but actually, you know runners are just runners and all those things, and if you you have to get away from that sort of self limiting thing of you know, I'm no good because it's it's very easy not to make a fool of yourself in in life and or in running, and the simple thing is you know don't do it, don't have a go and what I love about mm-hmm. runners is you know runners are people who do have a go um and really, if you have a go, then you know. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, Sometimes things go according to plan, sometimes they don't. But the point is, you, you had a go. Mm. Yeah.
1: And so, Richard, what for you is your next running goal or next thing that you are moving towards as a runner?
0: As a runner, that's a good question, actually. I haven't got a proper goal. I keep thinking I ought to get one. I've now... So I'm going to be 64 soon, and I suppose I'm having this inevitable older runners thing of thinking, right, well, I'm going to take it easy and not get injured, and then in 65, I'm going to be super fit, i got to start doing lots of races and <laughs> <laughs> hit the ground running. Age-grade upgrade, age-grade upgrade, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, i failing, failing to take into account the fact that, you know, all the runners my age are the, aging at exactly the same rate, so they're going to be doing the same, same thing as well, but... Um but I do th- I do find think it it's so I find it was really good for my fitness just to have a you know a big goal every every year or two. And last year I did this thing which mm. appears in the book where I actually took part in the world championships was was a bit of a joke, but um uh-huh. but nonetheless it was something to train for and you know, you wake up in the morning and you think, Oh my god, I've only got a month to go, I've gotta train hard or I'm gonna be in real trouble. And I think, you know, you can't, you can't train hard all the time. You can't be constantly worrying about your time, but it is good just to have every now and then something where you think, okay, I better, I better up my game. I'm going to regret it. <laughs> oh.
2: uh, and a risk of spoiling it. Tell us, tell us what happened when you, when you went
0: to the World Championships. I'm not going to spoil Well. I did. I didn't win. Let's put it <laughs> that way. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you're worried, you have to read the book to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Minimal yeah. Minimal spoiler. Yeah.
1: Wonderful, Richard. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your time and your wisdom. Maybe one last question mm-hmm. um, from me, in in sort of your um, capacity, if you don't mind me saying, as an elder to the running community, there will be people listening to this who are a little bit younger uh, than you. What what one piece of advice would you, have, would you like to give to your younger self as a runner that would help your younger self, as both a runner and someone in life, if you could sit the young Richard down and ask, tell them anything, what would you tell them?
0: Wow. I think I would just say, I'd say to him, you know, just keep going. You're doing, you know, this is really, you have no idea how good running is going kind to of be for you. You know, every, every step you take as a runner is a step in the right direction. Now, I remember when I started as a runner, it was slightly, you know, it was slightly a struggle, you know, willpower. I, I, you know, get back from work and said, well, do I want to go for a run today? Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And so, you know, which I'm sure lots of people do. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, gradually it became a habit that was absorbed into my life. And, you know, what I've subsequently realized is it's not just about, you know, fitness and health um, or even just about self discipline. It just brings you so many benefits from you know getting out there the wonderful people you make the connections you make learning to sort of manage yourself and your moods and also the sort of thing we haven't even touched on is you know the way that what i find is you know i go out for a run especially when i'm just running by myself and your brain sort of you know resets itself Mm. all your ideas sort of Mm-hmm. somehow sort themselves yeah. out it's a bit like the effect you know the benefits of sleeping but but slightly different it's the benefits of going for a run yeah. and then you get back from a run and as a writer yeah, i get back from run and always have. i want to dash to my notebook before someone talks to me or something like that because I've, something has become clear and i want to just get it down there yeah. um so yeah keep running is the main yeah. bit of advice i give
1: <laughs> wonderful I'm so glad you covered that. Well, <clears throat> the impact of running on your creativity. It would have been a real shame for us not to have, um, have have been able to hear that. And I keep coming up with ideas for T-shirts for this podcast. And I think you just said every step as a runner is a step in the right direction. That might be a <laughs> right, okay, podcast okay. T-shirt.
0: Fantastic.
1: Quotes. It might go on the front or the back. I don't know. that, but That's phenomenal. Thank okay. you.
0: Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been, it's been fascinating to hear from you.
1: Yes, thanks, Richard. That's been really wonderful to talk to you. And if uh, people do want to find out what's coming next for you or how to find out more about what you're working on, where can they go?
0: Um, Probably best just to go to my website, which is um, richardasquith.co.uk. Just have to remember that Asquith is A-S-K-W-I-T-H. So richardasquith, all one word, .co.uk.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
0: I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
2: Once again, just another fascinating interview, Gary. I feel like this season we've just been kind of knocked over time and time again by the depth and the insight that our guests uh, have given us. It's been such a privilege to speak to all of them. I can't really believe we're drawing to the end of this season now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's a bit of sadness. feel, But I also do feel very privileged to have spoken to all of the guests and particularly just thinking back on that conversation with Richard just now, you said he was a deep thinker and he is, right? He, mm. he is very reflective. He is our, everyone on the podcast this season has been creative, but I think he is our sort of first official artist creative person that we've <laughs> that we've had on. And he's brought some a very, very different perspective with that, I think.
2: Mm. Just before we dive into learnings and go from Richard's, um, struck me, Gary, that personally this has been quite a difficult year for you running-wise. You've mm. been struggling with injury, you've had cartilage issues in your knee. Um, you've just recently started getting back to running, I think. Tell us a bit yeah. more about where yeah. you're at and, and, and also kind of in the light of what Richard's been talking about, about running into later life, how yeah. does that make you feel?
1: Yeah, this is this, do you know, this um episode has almost been therapeutic because you're right, I I some knee issues emerged for me at the beginning of the year. It was super tough running is so important to me. I've spent a long time on my bicycle over the summer and uh and on the on the watt bike, which I also love. I do love cycling, but I have been getting back to running um and in preparation and thinking about Richard, I, it has genuinely drawn me back a bit more to the sport and I've got my appetite back and my excitement for it a bit more. And he is a brilliant role model of don't necessarily let your fears hold you back from doing some, something that you really, really love. You know, you've got to be gotta be rational. My knee isn't quite as good as it used to be. I'm not as young as I used to be, but there's still plenty of running left for me to do and and it feeds my soul so massively. So yeah, get in, in prep for this one and 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 just hearing him talk, it continues to be a positive thing for me and i and i still have his book to read actually which i know you've been enjoying so i have yeah, really been enjoying it
2: and um actually i've read even more of it since we spoke to him and yeah. um yeah just i would really encourage it's kind of mind-bending for me really um to kind of just get into that world of actually you're right you know it's it is somewhat countercultural um to continue mm. running in later life um but, you know, the positive mental side, of the, the positive physical side of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's an, e- it's an easy read. It's worth getting into. Um, and it's clear throughout that Richard just really loves running and the whole running community, at uh, every level of it. And so um, it's, it's a wonderful book to read. Yeah, um, very good. I think we're going to talk about that, actually, as part of our go-do, because... Yeah. You know, one of the things that is so countercultural um, is, you know, people don't expect to see older people running, or they're worried mm. that you know, they might mm. do damage to themselves, or you know, it doesn't look as lithe and as uh, inspirational <laughs> as a younger person uh, running. And there's a sort of weight of expectation or fear, and um, that means that people, you know, at some point in life, just stop, and and you know, and that can be health related yeah. as well um but i think we wanted to explore a little bit about well we're reaching the end of this year what are we maybe it's time to have a little bit of an audit and think okay well what are we doing or what are we not doing even because of yeah. the weight of exploitation or the way to fear or um what other reason there might be
1: yeah i think that's brilliantly put um we've sort of, we've both reflected how Richard almost seems to sum up the the spirit and the purpose of the podcast. But as it goes in running, you can get to a point where you're a bit scared to try something. And that might be, for whatever reason, it just seems way beyond you or because of age or or anything like that. As it goes in running, so it goes in life. And I think Mm. that is our question for you all listening to this, which would be, what might you be holding yourself back from because of some fear or concern or Mm. some cultural pressure or something like that and it just feels really timely at the end of the year to just pose that question to you in your service as our mm. listening community and say hey um what's 2024 going to be the year of for you what are mm. you going to step into with a bit of courage and take a risk and, mm. and achieve something more maybe more than you thought was possible for you
2: oh, I loved what Richard said. Um i think you said something like every step running is a step in the right direction so even if you just do a small run it's like one step in the right direction and um, that sense of having a dream and having a goal and uh uh what what you know for 2024 what what might that step in the right direction that small step be for you
1: yeah absolutely and i I'm, i love that and i'm serious we are going to get it put on some uh, on some t-shirts i just <laughs> Maybe, maybe I need to be hanging out with more authors because they just casually throw out wisdom like that. And it's pretty, pretty exciting. But, Ed, I've truly, truly loved this season of the Run Live podcast and the incredible people. People throw that word around a lot. We have met some incredible people on, mm. on this series. I feel super privileged and amazed, and I hope it's been useful for the people listening.
2: Mm. Yeah, me too. And actually, Gary, just to revert back to what you were saying because you are showing saying personally you know that it's been a tough year I, i'm re- really excited to see what 2024 holds for you um oh, hoping and man. praying that you get back on your feet and get back to some m- regular running and without pain thanks and uh, um yeah looking forward to to well sharing that your story as well with uh listeners on season three so we will be back in 2024 um in the meantime we hope you have a wonderful christmas and new year please share the podcast with others follow us on social media we do have some cool social media content planned for while we're not recording and putting out episodes Um, and look out for season three coming next year